0: See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you." The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm Stephanie Green, and I'm the New Godly Play Coordinator. And uh, we'll be talking with the kids about the Feast of All Saints. Um, I want to assure you that I'm not one of those newfangled Christians that needs a screen in the Eucharist, um, in the sanctuary for it to be uh, worshiped. I don't need smoke machines or anything. But in Godly Play, we have a box of sand, and we say we can't fit all of the desert in our classroom, so we have a part. And we can't fit the whole tradition of the wonderful architectural and artistic representation and celebration of the saints in our church. So we will have a part today. All saints. I have to say that when I was in high school and somebody would ask me, what's the difference between the Episcopal Church and the Roman Catholic Church, and my father and my grandmother were both Roman Catholic, I said, well, it's about the same, but we don't have a pope, and we don't pray to the saints or Mary or anything. When I checked out the Church Divinity School of the Pacific and came to San Francisco for the first time as an adult, I visited a friend of mine from college. She was a brilliant mathematician, Chinese-American, mother of five children, um, guitar-playing evangelical Christian. And I happened to see her right after I had been in San Francisco, I think at the the Church of St. Peter and Paul, and I said, you know, there were all these statues of saints, and one in particular, I think it was Jude, had all of these things on him, on his feet and hung around it, She said, oh, there's a real problem with Jude in San Francisco. She said, people take personals out to Jude. And I wasn't sure if it was the mathematician part of her or the evangelical part of her that was having a problem with taking out personal ads to Jude. So I want to say that since that time, I have served at the Church of St. Jude the Apostle. And I have served at... St. Paul's, and I have served at St. James, and I have served at All Saints. And so I have had to come around to the saints, and at this point in my life, I don't think that I could exist without St. Anthony, who always helps me find my keys, because he is the patron saint of lost objects. So before I talk a little bit about how I got there, I'd like to just remind us about how we got here to the Feast of All Saints. It is not true that we don't honor Mary and the saints. We do. And although Richard says that this has not been officially passed, this is our most, our most recent version of lives of the saints, lives of the holy ones, lives of the change-makers, that our Episcopal Church honors. Each of, each of these saints is given a, a collect. Each of these saints is given a sort of en- encyclopedic entry. Um, Episcopal Church, just the facts, ma'am. Um, but on their feast days, on the days that they were born into heaven, on the days that they died, we are to remember them. And some of us do in our midweek Eucharist. Now, I'd like to just give you a visual and say this is expanded from this. And there was even an intermediate version. All right? So the church is expanding its idea of holiness, of change-makers. It's incorporating more women and more non-canonical saints. Who are the ones whom we should honor and remember to inspire us in our own faith? Now the Episcopal Church didn't invent this. There's a long tradition of saints' lives. This is one volume of a, of a medieval version called the, the Golden Legend, and you can see that, the, that there's a lot more print here. Okay? This was all written by hand in the 13th century. Again, this is only one volume. And before that, there was the South English Legendary, the Middle English. Before that, there was Alfred's Lives of the Saints in Old English. There's a whole genre, there's a whole literary body, and this is how I came through the saints to the saints, of lives of the saints. The lives of the saints continue to be read in some monastic communities, but they were they were written to entertain, they were written to engage us, they were written poetically, they were written with glorious, fantastical detail. The saints have been kept alive through storytelling, and it is upon us to keep telling their story. We have not only literary accounts of the saints or literary celebrations. We have architectural celebrations, too. And this goes back to the early Christians who would gather at the graves of the martyrs to share a feast, to share Eucharist. So much so that churches were built on those holy places. Even by the fifth century, a day for honoring all the martyrs was named, because we couldn't possibly celebrate all of them. Didn't want to leave anybody else out. Didn't want to leave anybody out. And here's where it gets really interesting. In 609 or 610, sorry, 610, an emperor—and I could look at my my emperor focus—gave what had been the Pantheon, the temple to all the gods, to Pope Boniface IV. This particular temple was built by Agrippa during the reign of Augustus, that should sound familiar, around the time of Jesus. That particular building burned down, and so a new building, a new temple to the gods of the Pantheon, was built by Hadrian. That's what this is. And then, by the 7th century, it was dedicated not to all the gods, but to all the saints. So if we can look at the next slide. This is the, I love this, the largest dome of unreinforced concrete in the world, and engineers today still can't figure out how it was built. But if we go inside, we see perhaps the dome of heaven. We see niches for the saints. So the pantheon, the temple to all the gods, was rededicated to Mary and all the martyrs. It reigns inside this church. You can't close that hole, so you get traveling light, and you get rain, and one is surrounded by the saints. This was dedicated on May 13th, 609 or 610. People loved coming to Rome so much that in May, there just wasn't enough food or drink for everybody. So in the 8th century, another pope moved the feast to November 1st. To coincide with a well-known Roman harvest festival, but so that there would be enough food and drink in Rome to feed for everyone to be able to celebrate, and that is the origin of our Feast of All Saints. The Pantheon, isn't that amazing? So let's let's go on. Let's look at a couple saints. Oh, I will say, in um, Jacobus state Orogyne's golden legend, he also, after he gives this particular history as well, back in the 13th century, he also says, you know, it would just be too tiring also to celebrate all the saints every day, so we have to just put them all together on one day and just be too much to celebrate. But the point is too, that the saints are local. The saints are from villages, from towns, from continents. Some are known, some are forgotten, some are known only by God. And so, in order to honor everyone, we honor them on one day, together. At this time, where the world is fading, winter is coming, and there is this thin place between life and death, between this world and the next. This is an Orthodox icon of all saints. And the Orthodox celebrate all saints on another day, Uh, that's another story which I won't tell right now. Um, But we can see that the saints are surrounding Christ. And this takes us back to our reading from 1 John, that we're children of God. We don't know what we will reveal. We won't know what we will resemble until Christ is revealed. And we are found that we resemble Christ. That the saints are there in a familial resemblance. We recognize Christ through them. We recognize them as holy. So we keep adding to the circle. You can see that the circle does not circumscribe everybody. It cuts people off. The circle will keep expanding but it all revolves around Christ. The saints, as we hear about the Holy Ones in the Beatitudes today, stand in the middle. They're the peacemakers. They're the ones, the meek ones, to inherit the earth. They're the ones who stand between heaven and earth. They're the ones who stand between Christ and us not the ones whom we need to pass through but the but the ones whom we might pass through because in our tradition it's not that we pray to them to act although saint anthony is very useful but like we pray for each other they pray for us too they are close to christ they can intercede for us they stand in the middle they are Living icons. And in the Orthodox tradition, an icon is not a window only into eternity, but it's a door. A door giving on, giving over to Christ and what is holy. Let me go to the next one. So, just quickly, just a couple things in the way that we can look at art to tell the stories. This is the icon of St. Catherine. You can pass it around. <laughs> She was, a, she was a scholar, she was from royalty, here are her books, her globe, more books, she was a martyr, she has a martyr's palm. she was devoted to Christ, she did not want to get married, her devotion was to Christ. She was tortured, she was to be tortured and killed by a wheel with spikes on it, but there was a miracle and an angel came and broke up the wheel. So eventually, she converted 50 philosophers and the only way they could get her her to shut up was to cut her head off. This happened to a lot of women women martyrs, right. So next one, we have Saint Francis and we remember that he had a holy relationship with animals. He not only preached to the birds, but he was inspired the birds. To offer his own praises to God. Here we see the stigmata, one of the few saints who shows the marks of Christ. And here's that golden crown, the halo is the crown, that St. Paul reminds us of, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life. And we'll go to the next one. Claire of Assisi, where we have signs of her life, story of her life surrounding her, one of the more fantastical elements about her was that Frederick II was coming to storm Assisi, and she went out bearing the Eucharist, and this holy terror came over the armies, and they all fled. St. Clair is also the patron saint of television. So one, one Christmas, um, she was stuck in her room, she was so sick. But she was able to see the Eucharist as it was happening in real time. Sounds like TV, so she's now the patron saint of uh, television. And again, and this is just a, a clear and perhaps newer painting again, to just see this cloud of witnesses. So we'll go to the next slide. Just want to remind us of our Orthodox brothers and sisters who replicate, as we do, uh, the first temple in having a narthex, a nave, and um, sort of a higher sanctuary, a separated sanctuary, but instead of our rail here, they have an iconostasis, which is a screen where we have the saints, who are presences, who are doors to the holy, these icons, which really only matter most when there's prayer around them and through them, these icons remind us that the saints are always gathered in worship with us. And that is what we have in the first reading from Revelation. Rowan Williams says that church acclimatizes acclimatizes us to peace and praise. And so it is in Revelation that the primal image of the holy ones are those who are gathered around the throne and worshiping. And so it is that we are bound to the saints, not only through our baptism, but through the Eucharist that strengthens our faith. And to take us from the Orthodox world right back into San Francisco, we have St. Gregory, who wrote about being friends with God. And those who worship at St. Gregory's in San Francisco are surrounded by the Holy Ones. Malcolm X is holding hands with Queen Elizabeth. Lady Godiva is there in all of her splendor. Lady Godiva, who did not agree with the taxation, her husband was weighing upon those who supported his property. And so he said, I will only lift the taxes if you ride naked through the estate. And so she told everybody to go behind the shutters and close them. And she rode naked except for Tom, keeping Tom. Lady Godiva is there. St. Francis is there. Ella Fitzgerald is there, the changemakers, the musicians, the artists, the poets, the social activists, and the ones whom for centuries we have called saints. These saints dance and are present to the Eucharist and to the dancing of the worshipers below. One more slide. There's perhaps something that reminds us of the Pantheon with the light coming from above. Go visit. If you haven't, don't just go look at the building. Go on a Sunday and feel what it is to be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and the great dance led by Christ. And one more slide. And if you will, think of these niches back in the Pantheon back in in the Church of St. Mary and all the saints, who would you put up there? This is the day that we also remember our loved ones who have gone before us. How have they brought inspiration and holiness and love into your lives? What place do they have in showing Christ to you? Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at oursaviormillvalley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.